Welcome to the Money Wise Women Show, brought to you by MoneyMorphosis.com. Are you ready to be inspired to upgrade your financial skills? Listen to feminine leaders sharing practical advice and valuable insights. Shift your money mindset, improve communication skills, and learn financial management tips. Although we do not provide investment advice, you can check out MoneyMorphosis.com. That's Money-M-O-R-P-H-O-S-I-S.com to find simple ways to boost your true wealth. Crystal Arnold here, your hostess of Money Wise Women and founder of Money Morphosis. More and more people, including yourselves probably, are interested in aligning your money with your deepest held values. And I've really seen uh, that there is an upswelling of this movement to make greater impact with our money and to find investments that are in alignment with our purpose and and passions. And there really is so much potential as people um, have, have greater access to investments that are making a change in the world, that are developing the the society and the culture that we desire that really um, creates a better life for us all and and really contributes to stewarding the environment. And so there have been great uh, strides made um, beyond just socially responsible investing, which was kind of the the pioneer a, a couple decades ago that people began to screen out the the negative um, things that they did not want to support. And now some organizations are taking it even further with purpose-based investing. And I'm super excited to have our guest today from Swell Investing. We have Amber J. Freeman with us. And it's, it's a really powerful time to come um yeah come into this conversation as as women and be able to explore the different options for people to move their money into uh endeavors that are in alignment with their values so amber j she's brings more than a decade of experience in both the public and private sector research to her role at swell And this includes a stint at the Royal Bank of Canada, where she specialized in ESG investing, which we'll talk some more about later. It stands for Environmental, Social, and Governance. And so she's got a lot of experience with that. And she's also spent time working in developing countries with cash-strapped NGOs. And this experience has led her to believe that financial markets should be used as a vehicle for social and environmental change. Super excited to have you here, Amber J. as a pioneer in this field. I would love to begin by hearing from you what you find most exciting about the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, Crystal. It's great to be here. What I find most exciting about my work and my research, and I absolutely love my job, so I'll just be very explicit about that, is the fact that I get to merge all of the intellectual and, you know, personal curiosities as well as my passion for doing, uh, for creating positive change, right, and leveraging the financial markets to create positive change. My job allows me to do all of that. Plus, the markets are dynamic, right? They go up, they go down, there's volatility, they move sideways, um, and you know, there's a lot of excitement in that. Not that we're active traders. We're very much long only, you know, buy and hold, you know, very thoughtful about our strategy. But just the fact that we I'm constantly, along with my team, uh, tracking the changes uh, on, of the markets and also the, um, the interesting things that our, our, portfolios are company, our portfolio companies are doing. Um, the focus of Swell um, and my work is very much on only allocating capital, only investing our investors' money into companies that are deriving revenue from some sort of positive social or environmental issue. That could be, um, you know, developing solar panels. It could be, you know, finding a cure for rare diseases or for cancer. Um, you know, it could be companies that only practice um, sustainable uh, manufacturing processes where everything that they use is, you know, and waste, the waste that's created is recycled back and turned into either energy or turned into new products. 
You know, so just more sustainability. That's the focus. Companies that are not just doing well in the sense that they're generating a profit, but they're also doing good in the sense that the products and services they provide help us live our best lives and our most sustainable lives. And so that's really the focus of Swell as, and the work that I do in particular. And so as a result of that, what I find most exciting is that it allows me to marry the body of work and the research that I've spent the last, you know, decade or more, like, amassing. And that's, you know, my, my background is very much interdisciplinary. So I studied everything from anthropology to political science, um, economics, sociology. And so that kind of breadth of knowledge and that approach to investing lends itself very well to making sure that you can identify the best and most impactful names in order to know if I'm, you know, for, for, to give you a, more of a concrete example, um, this morning on my way into work, I met this geologist, his PhD in geology, and the first question I asked him once I realized what he did, did was, I said, can you talk to me about hydraulic fracturing in Oklahoma and the effects of um, hydraulic fracturing or fracking, as people most, more commonly know it, um, on the seismic, increase in seismic activity we've seen in Oklahoma? Like, the fact that I, that I know that, <laughs> and I know like a whole host of other things is what lends itself very well to this kind of investing. You have to have a breadth of knowledge. Like I need to know that the topography of Lebanon in terms of its composition, you know, the, the area, the surface area, you know, the habitation, vegetation, all of that um, is the same, you know, looks very much identical to that of Southern California, right? So I wouldn't want to grow, I wouldn't want to invest in a venture that's selling almonds or trying to grow almonds in Lebanon. Why? Because their water, you know, their resources are scarce. I know that because it looks just like California, and we experience droughts here quite often in a very intense drought, right? So it's like understanding that wide body of information and applying those environmental, social, demographic, macro changes or like concepts and themes to um, security selection, determining what mm. portfolios are actually going to stand a benefit um, from an impact perspective and also as a benefit to our investors. Wow, That's why I, I, work. <laughs> I, I totally understand uh, what I feel like you're like researching the innovations and the good news. Like, wow, you mm -hmm. must have such a perspective that's different from the mainstream story of the doom and gloom and fear. Like, whoa, there are innovators in a variety of fields who are, you know, really making strides to, to make the world a better place. And you sound like such a true polymath who's got such a, a wide variety of interests and, and knowledge. And uh, wow, that's, that's really fascinating. I, I'd love to hear more like what brought you into this field and your kind of personal um, money story, if you'd like to share it and or what, yeah, what brought you into this line of work? Yeah, sure. I'd be delighted. Um, well, growing up, I didn't have any money like at all. And so I wanted to I wanted to make sure that I that I um well or rather let me rephrase. I didn't have money growing up and that was something that um I understood the negative consequences of that and I thought why don't I do something different? <laughs> let's see what let's see what it's like if you if you decide to uh, plot a course where you can actually be successful. Um education for me was a big part of that. My mother um, did not finish high school. And so for her, she, she spoke to me often about the importance of education, you know, wanting to, um, to create more opportunities for, for myself and for, you know, whatever future endeavor and pursuits I might have. And so she sort of, she stressed that. And as a result, um, and of course it lends itself to my own, it, it worked well with my own intellectual curiosity about just about everything. So um, that kind of encouragement and support that I received from her allowed me to, you know, really focus on my studies and um, work toward entering college. Um, I was the first person in my family to go to college. So that's, you know, there's a lot of about that process that I did not know. Um, but I, you know, powered my way through it with the help of some really great teachers and advisors and just, you know, community support. Um, managed to find my, find my way into college. Um, I went to UCSB, so the University of California at Santa Barbara, which is a beautiful campus. And that's actually when my interest in global and international studies was peaked. The whole notion that, you know, we're a global society, what affects us, you know, our, we are not confined by our national borders in terms of, especially as it relates to giant, you know, macro themes like climate change, you know, like global security, like, um, uh, just any sort of technological innovations or even global conflict, right? So it dealt with these huge, huge issues. Um, and one of the key things that I found when I was 
as I was studying is the kinds of institutions we were studying, the IMF, the World Bank, um, you know, various state and non-state actors, and the capital flows, you know, we're looking at the World Economic Forum and how they, you know, and the kinds of capital that these countries and businesses represented and how those funds were being used versus what the needs were, right? So you have the alignment with the, you have the United Nations who had the Millennial Development Goals. This was like back in 2000, 2015, that was their 15-year plan. And then you have business, the business industry, which isn't really cottoning on to some of those themes, right? Like they're not really allocating capital to the things like, to things like, you know, reducing poverty, to, you know, um, uh, building better water infrastructure for people in, you know, sub-Saharan Africa so they don't have to walk for hours a day to collect water. You know, things like that. Like there seemed to be a mismatch um, of the capital needs with who had the capital. And this this example was glaring for me, especially when I entered grad school and I went um, and did my, my master's practicum in Rwanda in East Africa. And my job there was with the Clinton uh, Hunter Development Initiative, so one of, the, one of former President Bill Clinton's um, his one of his initiative CGI projects, so Clinton Global Initiative, his foundation's projects. Um, I was in Rwanda helping to understand how to increase or how fertilizer use would increase crop yields in Rwanda, which um, at the time, or rather, yeah, at the time, this was 2007, was 88% subsistence. I don't imagine that it's decreased significantly from that, but it's still about, you know, maybe it's about 80% subsistence farming, which means that people only eat what they grow. If they don't grow anything, they don't eat. So there's lots of food insecurity. Um, in, a, in a space like that. So what I did when I was there I, um, was I was trying to understand how effective their fertilizer distribution program was. People largely in Sub-Saharan Africa don't use fertilizer on their crops. I mean, they do in certain parts of Kenya, Uganda, but like the wider continent of Africa, the 54 countries, um, a lot of people do not, or rather in Sub-Saharan in particular, they don't use fertilizer. On their crops, and of course, they, they rely on rain to water their crops. Um, and so we were trying to figure out how to increase their crop yields. This is, I'm going to try and wrap this up. It's a bit long. Um, but what I found was that, you know, there were no markets. There was no industry. So, like, you had, these, you had these farmers who were given fertilizer for free one year to the program. And then the second year, when they came back to get more fertilizer, the second year, the Clinton program, what they did was they said, okay, instead of giving it to you 100% free, we're going to provide 50% of – we're going to give you um, a loan, I guess, for 50% of the cost, or we'll – we, we will reduce the cost by 50%, and then once you bring your crops to harvest and bring them, you know, and sell them in the market, then you can give us the other 50%. Well, farmers were really upset by this, okay? They were like, well, we got this for free last time. How come you guys are making us pay at least some of the cost, up, you know, up front and then the rest of the cost later? That doesn't seem fair. Um, and to add to that, the farmers who were really upset also admitted that a good number of them hadn't actually applied the fertilizer to their crops. Instead, what they did was they sold it in the black market um, mm. to farmers in Uganda or into Kenya. And so the director of CGI, or THDI, the Clinton Hunter Development Initiative, at the time, when I came to Rwanda, he sat me down and told me about this and asked me what the issues were. You know, I had just flown in. I was only there for a couple of hours. You know, I had just gotten there. Um, and I said, okay, I have two questions for you. This is the director of, of CHDI. I said, my first question is, in Rwanda, who does the farming? the men or the women? And he said, the women. And I said, okay, good. Who comes to these meetings when you're dealing with the fertilizer distribution? He said, the men. I said, that's your first problem. I yeah. said, the people that are using the input or that should be using the input aren't attending the meetings, right? Mm. So you're talking to the wrong person. You're talking to the wrong people. The second thing I asked, the second thing I said was, I'm going to need two translators and I'm going to go into the eastern province of Rwanda, which is where the fertilizer distribution program was being um, started or, you know, adopted, and I'm going to go talk to the farmers. Because the only way to collect data about why a thing isn't working is to talk to the people that need to use that thing that is not working. I use that same approach when I deal with the investments that we make at Swell. If I look at a company, I need to understand all of the reasons why a company should be included potentially, as well as the reasons why it might, as well as the externalities, right? So we, because impact investing traditionally, and I guess I should probably say something about this, um, you were talking about SRI, socially responsible investing, and that is for most people a wide umbrella term, socially responsible investing. It includes, you know, the, the intention to avoid investing in companies that you consider to be morally or environmentally objectionable, 
right? So guns or um, oil and gas in some cases, you know, depending on, you know, your own preferences, mining and metals, you know, things that you consider to be destructive um, or harmful. So that's SRI. Impact investing, which is what we do here at Swell, is much more intention is a bit more intentional in the sense that it's not just about investing in companies that are not that are doing the least amount of harm, or companies that or not investing in companies that are um, we consider to be or some people might consider to be morally objectionable. Instead, we're taking a positive approach. It's not what, about what we're against at Swell. It's about what we're for. You know, so we support the proliferation of renewable energy. We support the ability for people to live long and healthy um, and active lives. We support, you know, the infrastructure needs to build and maintain our precious water resources, right? So that's how we approach investing. And so when I'm looking at a company, I'm thinking about all of the externalities, all of the things that a company should be doing that maybe they aren't doing and, that, and the effects of those externalities onto society, right? So like if a company is not managing its water waste well, but it needs water to develop its products, then that's a problem, right? So it's not, like, again, like I said, it's not about just doing well. It's about doing good, too, being good stewards of this, of, your, of, of being good stewards, business leaders, you know, and stewards mm. of the environment. I love that uh, asset-based approach. Instead of cutting out the bad exclusively, we're, you're really actively assessing what is good in these companies. And um, also, uh, wow, the experience in Africa, just um, how incredible and insightful to really go directly to the women who are the farmers and address them. And, and I think this is, again, why we need more women in um, economic money conversations <laughs> all around the world, right, is because often we are the, um, you know, involved in the household finances more and more. Um, Mm -hmm. I think you're also seeing a shift toward that, right? As we all know, women are set to inherit the vast majority of the wealth, at least through inheritance and also through acquisition. Like, it's not like we're not making money, (laughs) but it just, it's also that, you know, we're inheriting, I think, somewhere in the ballpark of like $41 trillion, not just women, but, you know, women and millennials in this coming you know, the coming decade, that's a tremendous amount of capital to control. And the kinds of decisions that we're going to make um, when, as a result of having that capital need to be very intentional when we're thinking about the tremendous amount of resource scarcity and our environmental needs, the negative effects of poisoning our environment on our own health. You know, all of those things need to be addressed, and now we're finally in a position where we're going to start controlling the capital that will allow us to transform how we do, how we've built our economy, you know, so that way it's not just um, the profit imperative being the whole thing that the rest of society is subordinate to, but rather instead we say, how can we live and incorporate business activity and economic activity into the wider ecosystem that we all, of course, depend upon for our very survival? I think our disconnect from nature um, has been very problematic for us, and, you know, and it's also, it seems also, um, um, to my mind at least, it seems um, counterintuitive, you know, mm-hmm. when you think about the fact that we need clean air, we need clean water, we need, you know, nutritious foods to eat right. and live and sustain ourselves, that we don't protect these assets as we should is a real problem. And this is something I, I've actually said at Swell to, to my colleagues and to the CEO. I said, we are in the business of asset management. The environment is an asset. Mm. It needs to be appropriately managed. And our mismanagement of that is causing us to reap the negative consequences of that. We're running a deficit. Mm. Right? We're in a bear market in our environment. And so we right. need to figure out ways to quickly turn that into more of a bull market for all of us. You know? So yeah. um, yes, it's important it's so for us true. to... Yeah. And people often say, like, if it, if it can't be measured, then it's not valuable. And if it doesn't fit into this, you know, um, monetary mm-hmm. system, then we won't recognize that, that contribution, the unpaid work of women, the, um, we call them in economics, which is what my degree is in, environmental externalities, mm-hmm. you know, these aren't exactly. accounted for in the, in the price of an item. And so the cost is often much greater than what the price is actually reflected if you add in the environmental impact and, and social impact on, on people. 
Um, speaking of exactly. investing trends and what you're seeing happening in the market with more women um, coming in control of more assets, and I've also heard more millennials um, also receiving more um, investment power and earning power in these years um, here. Any other trends in this year that you'd like to highlight for us? Um, I mean, we've seen, a, I mean, there's been a lot of. Do you mean that just from, okay, so from an investment perspective, um, capital flows, as you've identified, we've seen a lot of women and a lot of millennials moving into that space. The other trend that we're seeing is their interest in and understanding of the importance of being deliberate and intentional about how you're allocating capital, right? So for women and for millennials, there seems to be much more of a focus and emphasis. And that, of course, the millennials include men and women, right? The youth the younger generations seem to understand more profoundly the, their connection to nature and our need to protect the resource. Um, previous generations may have had some understanding, but maybe not that. There, there seemed to be, like, for some reason, corporations were considered separate from society instead of part of it, even though they rely on the resources to make the things that they sell to us. I don't know why that decision was made, but there was this disconnect, and so now we're trying to bring it back in. Corporations have a, have a duty of care, right? This is a social contract. We're allowing you guys to use the natural resources that we all depend upon to make products and services that we find delightful or useful or what have you, but that does not mean that you are not also responsible for making sure that you're conducting your business in ways that are not causing undue harm to both humans and the ecosystem and everyone else. You know, and then the other interested stakeholders. And so the other piece to impact investing because of that, and ESG investing generally, is very much about voting your proxies. And I'm not sure if everyone knows what proxies are, but essentially when you have, when you own a, you have share ownership, stock ownership in a company, um, you have a vote in, on certain aspects of that company's business. And the his, throughout the history of ESG and impact investing, I mean, going back to the Quakers in the 1800s all the way up to today, one of the key themes that has underscored all of this, kind, this form of investing is the intention to say we are making this investment decision because of these reasons, some of which are financial and some of which are extra financial or, again, as you point, you know, as you, the word that we throw around sort of externalities. In this case, it would be the environmental, social, governance, or ESG criteria. Um, what is impact investing um, is a big pro- like proxy voting. Voting your proxies is a huge part of that. And one of the things that, um, along with ESG investing, one of the key parts of the proxy is the ability for shareholders who own either $2,000 worth of a particular stock and have held that stock for more than a year to put forth initiatives that are often environmental in nature or social in nature and getting the rest of the, share, the, uh, the stock owners to vote on these particular initiatives. There are some organizations that have, that have been doing this for a long time. One of the really well-known ones is, um, is, the, is As You Sow. They're an Oakland-based organization um, that is focused on shareholder advocacy and engagement, and they work in coalition with a lot of other pension plans, CalPERS, CalSERS, New York pension plans, and other organizations to put forth ESG, environmental, social, and governance initiatives at corporations and then vote on those initiatives. And they've been doing this for decades. And for a long time, the, the, they were getting votes of around 10, 15, 20% on the environmental initiatives that they put forth, so like a, not a, a wide body of, of support. However, what we've seen is a sea change in how people are thinking about impact or thinking about the ownership of companies and the, the role of companies in society. We saw Larry Fink a few weeks back, who is the CEO of BlackRock, right? And BlackRock is a massive asset management organization. They own along, them along with Vanguard almost hold a third of the retail investment market. So when Larry Fink issues a letter, public letter, to all corporations saying, you guys need to start accounting for your externalities, you need to consider environmental, social, and governance considerations in, in your business, or we are not going to invest with you, right? That's a, that's a big deal, you know? Like there's a sea change. Corporations are, are having to account, they're being held to account, not just for the profits that they're deriving, but also for the social impact that they're having on society, be it positive or negative. We've seen so many cases of this. Of course, like the most, the most obvious one in the United States would be, um, you know, the gun, 
the divestment from gun stocks after Parkland, you know, the Parkland shooting. Um, that was a, you know, that's very much, very much in the wheelhouse of ESG and impact investors. For Swell's part, we didn't have to divest anything because, as a result of our process, we don't own companies that that have that have gun stocks. It's just not our business. Nor do we own oil and gas companies. Again, that's not our business. So we find ourselves not having to be so reactionary, which is really nice. But um, essentially, the mandate has come down from asset management owners like BlackRock, um, and the word is out. Like it is not okay for companies to just run a rush shot over the rest of society. We won't stand for it, and we will, we will deprive you of capital if you continue mm-hmm. in this path. Yes. So, so good to hear that. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> hallelujah. <laughs> it's, just, it's about time, right? <laughs> and really, yeah, it's indeed. an issue of transparency. There's been so mm-hmm. little transparency within corporations, within the um, government, within the Um, financial economy that people have these desires to align with their values, Mm -hmm. but it can be really hard to know which decisions to make in your purchases and your investments. And it sounds like what you're doing is giving people um, really doing that legwork for them and filtering out the companies and really identifying the ones who are pioneers. I've found that Swell has um, six different themes that investors can Mm -hmm. choose from. Um, which I'll just uh, list now for listeners, the green technology, renewable energy, zero waste, clean water, disease eradication, and healthy living. living. And and then, you know, you've really used this, um, what's called the engaged impact criteria to really uh, identify the, the best companies and, and they're performing very well. Um, so what else would you like to tell people who may be interested in investing about what impact is and, and what your approach is? Absolutely. Our approach is very much focused on providing this. Okay, so this kind of investing is something that only the very wealthy had access to previously. What Swell is really trying to do is open this process up so that way everyone can have access to active shareholder, active share ownership, and really take control of what their assets, what kinds of companies they're using to grow their assets for retirement, for you know planning a wedding, for getting buying a house, you know sending children to college, what have you. Um, our, I guess, I suppose what we do here. Hmm. Can you can you actually just can can you elaborate sure, a little bit more on your question? Right. There's like so much you could say. You're so in it in that day to day analysis of of companies. What let's see. What would be interesting? I think to hear about is um, some. Well, one, you know, maybe people aren't really familiar with the term impact, and so some of what your definition of impact investing is, and then maybe some example of of how you, uh, yeah, a a company or or a way that you approach choosing your investments. Sure. Okay. I'll give you an example I think that would probably be most tangible for for how we have what might go into selection criteria. Um, I'll give you an example. I'll give you two examples. So because there's a – okay, so when I'm evaluating a company, let's say for our clean water portfolio, I look at a few key things. One, how does the company make its money, right? How does the company make its money? Who are its customers? What's its geographic distribution? Like is it – is it just the U.S. market or does it have penetration in other markets or, you know, and what have you? Um, and are they innovating um, and doing so in ways that are either going to increase access to a scarce resource, um, protect a scarce resource, um, improve the use of a resource, you know, so th- those are the kinds of things that we're looking for. An example of a company that fits very well into this model, and we use this example around here a lot because we just really love this company, would be a company in our clean water portfolio called Xylem. Now, Xylem is a water technology company based in New York, and 
they, their whole tagline is let's solve water. Their focus is on developing technologies that allow people to not only effectively manage and treat water and wastewater for you know, major wastewater systems, they also spend time doing research and development in developing countries that have lots of farmers who need access, better access to water technology. Um, we talk about this in one of our in one of our materials, but I'll just I'll run you through it um, just because we're obviously on the phone, uh, not in person. So, um, what this company, one of the products that we really liked that they did was the Saji water pump, and the pump was designed in such a way. Um, it was designed in concert with maybe like 300 farmers, both in India and Sub-Saharan Africa. And what they what they wanted to understand was what the company wanted to understand and help them solve was how do these small holder farmers you know, who aren't growing tons of crops and maybe some larger ones, how are they managing their water resources because water is scarce, people have to go a long way to, to cultivate it. And, of course, a lot of water gets wasted in agriculture, right? Like just runoff, agriculture runoff, which runs into our streams and rivers, and et cetera. So they developed this pump that is, um, that's operated by, by your feet, and it's solar-powered, right? So for people, for farmers who don't have access to electricity and other, you know, inputs that we all enjoy here in the United States largely, um, they and infrastructure, you know, infrastructure benefits, they don't have those. And so Xylem designed this water pump that allows them that's foot operated, right? So they operate it with their feet and allows them to pump water to very targeted parts of their of their crops. And it's powered with solar energy. So again, you know, environmental and also they don't have electricity grid systems in certain parts of the world. And so they're helping those farmers manage their water resources. What's cool about this pump is not just the fact the, the design of it, but also their pricing mechanism. They said, okay, we know that a pump like this is going to be expensive, more expensive for some people than it would be for others. So what they did was they said, if you are a smallholder farmer and you have X amount of hectares of land or acres or what have you, then the price of your pump would be set at this. If instead you also grow crops to not only feed your family, but you also have enough to sell in the market, then your price might be slightly elevated. So they do like a tiered pricing system for this particular product. It's also completely, um, it's also something that people can take apart and easily replace parts for, you know, very cheaply. They can repair it on their own. Like, you know, so a company like that, those are the kinds of companies, companies like Xylem who think about what are the needs, not just here in the United States, but globally to manage this resource, like, and how can we solve that? And so they spent a lot of research and development, and they went into the countries and talked to these farmers and found out what their needs are. And that's the kind of thing we're looking for in a company. Does that, does that help? Yeah, yeah, sort of and, yeah. Great example. Yes, I, I love that. And, and how capital really can increase, uh, you know, help the company scale up or increase their uh, effect and influence. Um, and yeah, I just love that, that sense of uh, camaraderie too, and like uh, really interest in, in the quality of, of the company and the leadership and, and their strategy instead of just, uh, you know, so many traditional ways. It's all about the quantitative, you know, numbers of mm-hmm. things. And it seems like you're really taking account for some things which are harder to measure. Well, one of the things that I that I always tell my team and the other colleagues that I work with as well is that, like you were saying earlier, you know, what you can you, people like to measure things. Not every okay, what you can measure, you can manage. That's true, but not everything that matters can be measured. Yeah. And impact, in particular, is a qualitative assessment of financial risk. Right. So you're not just you're not looking at what the data are telling you. You are looking at what the data are telling you. Excuse me. You are definitely looking at that, but you're also saying, what is the data not telling me that I know? It should be considering, right? Yeah. So it's it's about exploiting gaps in the research. Most investors are very short-term thinking. You know, if I look at a company and their R&D budget is about 5% of their revenues, I'm not going to see that as a problem. I'm going to say, what are they planning with that R&D money? And how is that going to benefit the society? And then also, as a result, our investors, you know? Yeah. So it's more yeah. about, you know, it's like that's, and any of the analysts or any of the other people that work on the impact team um, in particular, like that is, you know, like it's always, we, all, we like to think about those things. What's not, what am I not getting? What am I not being told? What's missing mm-hmm. from this data? Yeah. And can I find that? Can I find what's missing? Can I make reasonable assessments about what's missing? And how does that affect that particular holding? You know? Mm. 
Love it. You're like an investigator. <laughs> You're totally. Yeah, it's exactly it. Yeah. This curiosity, too. I, I feel like <laughs> awakening that in people and not just accepting the status quo and this is the way it is with money and my this and that. And uh, just really feel like that curiosity is a great leadership quality um, that I hear in you. Uh, let's take a quick break here, and when we come back, we'll dive into more um, more about Swell and your approach, and then also you as an um, African-American woman and a minority in this field of, uh, of finance and uh, just what you've experienced and, and what leadership um, skills you feel are important Um So we will be back in just a moment. Are you ready to enjoy greater financial freedom? Perhaps you're like Emily, a creative entrepreneur who wants to increase her income to provide for her family. Using the free video training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com, she learned the secrets to accessing hidden resources and creating lasting wealth. Emily learned a persuasive negotiation technique to bring in more money with her top clients. She boosted her credit score and opened new financial doors while reducing expenses. And she took specific steps to strengthen her existing relationships and create a safety net for her business. With the Discover Your True Wealth training, thousands of women have improved their bank balances and secured their family's future. With this free video course, you'll transform beliefs, behaviors, and skills with money. Take charge of your financial situation with the training found at discoveryourtruewealth.com. Welcome back. I am here with Amber J. Freeman from Swell Investing. And if you're interested, you can find out more about that at www.swellinvesting.com. And you can also read the full write-up on my blog post at www.money-morphosis.com, where you'll find under podcast uh, Amber J's episode. And so for all of you listeners, we've been having a fascinating conversation about impact and aligning our money with values and what makes a a successful um, investment and company and the approach that Amber J and Swell uh, takes towards finding really innovative pioneers and companies who are already doing good and how to amplify their capacity to make change and create a profit for investors and really do good for the planet and the people. So inspiring. Um, So first let's talk about um, being a woman in this field and, um, and some of the qualities of feminine leadership that you feel um, have made you and or swell successful and uh, I just want to put the disclaimer that feminine leadership is it can also be embodied by men as well, that it's not necessarily about men and women, but there are feminine qualities that, that you as a woman uh, may bring forth. And, and so I'm curious, what do you think um, being a, a woman in leadership in finance? Sure. I mean, well, there aren't a ton of us, <laughs> but we do exist, you know, and there are other women of color too, um, though not very many. I will be honest, like, you know, it's finance, finance like tech, very male-dominated, largely, um, not terribly diverse. That is true. Um, the reasons for this are largely based, I think a lot of it has, it's very reflective of the same kinds of demographic and socioeconomic issues that, and, you know, gender issues that you see in the rest of society, right? Like, there are, people make assumptions about what is appropriate for a woman to do, what is appropriate for a man to do, what their competency levels are, what their ability to adapt and learn and communicate and work effectively in a particular industry are, you know, their considerations about whether they're going to procreate, you know, all of those things go into the discrimination and the 
you know, selections that people make for how they build their companies. Um, and, you know, discrimination exists. However, with all of that said, um, like we know all of those things exist, so I would, I'd, I'd rather mostly focus on what it is that I, that I, that I have seen that's positive, you know, in, in finance. And the shift, even the shift in, and since I've been in the industry for almost a decade now, um, there are, uh, you know, Slow is interesting because we're a fin, we're a finance company, but we're also a tech company. So it's almost like we're a fin, we're a fintech company, and that means that we probably shouldn't have very many women if the rest of, you know, if industry trends play themselves out. However, Slow is very unique in the sense that I'm pretty sure that half of us are women, at least. Wow. Maybe more. Wow. Actually. Um, and that's everything from developers to, you know, the investment team to marketing and strategy. Like, there is not a single part of this organization that, is not, that does not have a woman in leadership touching it in some way. So that's, you know, that was very intentional, I think. Well, actually, not really intentional. I think it's just, well, it's the kind of company that attracts people that want to build positive social and environmental change in the world. Um, and a lot of that is the, the women and men here have those feminine <laughs> leadership qualities that you would want, you know, in an organization like this. And so it lends itself very nicely to, to being outside of the norm on both tech, for both tech companies and finance companies, which is great. Um, qualities of leaders, like the leadership qualities for women, I think, I think the, the thing... The thing with women is that we, we definitely lead with empathy. Um, that's not to suggest that there are men who don't lead with empathy. However, I have seen and observed in my life and in my work that on average and in the aggregate, women are more likely to come to the table without making assumptions about everything that they, that they know, and they're more collaborative. These are just assumptions. These are broad assumptions. There are, there are tons of men who are absolutely just as empathetic and just as collaborative. You know, I want to be very mindful of that. However, um, we have seen and studies have shown that there is an, in, there's an increased likelihood that you'll get more of a diversity of thought and have more of an engagement and collaborative process when a woman is in a leadership position um, at a given company or within a given department. As for being a woman of color in finance, I'm, I mean, people make assumptions, and that's, you know, and that's part of the, that's part of it. One of the things before I, before I turn into before I completely dive into the woman of color bit, one of the things I, I wanted to make sure I point out is that um, the other thing that women do really well is that we generally tend to think in the long term, right? We're not just planning for short bursts of you know benefit, short term gains. We look, we think about what our objectives are over the long term. When are we? When do we want to buy a house? Are we going to marry? You know, what will our partner? You know, what will what will the life our partner and I lead look like? Um, how can we finance that? And so we, women tend to be more long-term thinking. They also deal with the household economy much more acutely as well as the, you know, the economy out externally outside of their homes. And so they're more connected to the needs of, and the resources that, that are necessary for their own, the operations of their organization and the operations of their home. And so because they think in, that, in those ways, they think very holistically. And I think as a result, they make different investment decisions. Um, which can lend themselves to more positive outcomes for a wider cross-section of society. Like you don't get, yeah. oh, I, I haven't seen, I don't, I don't want to say that like, I, again, I want to be very careful about, you know, making gross generalizations because I, I don't like it when they're made about anyone, <laughs> you know, yeah. so I don't want to, I don't want to fall into that category either. Um, one of the other things that I would point out when it comes to feminine leadership or just, you know, just great leadership qualities is that women generally tend to, on average, um, Bring, I guess this still goes into the collaboration part, but, you know, the benefit of having a women and men at an organization is not just the diversity that they bring in terms of their gender, you know, gender lens experience, which is incredibly invaluable, but just generally a diversity of experience lends itself to diverse thinking, more elastic thinking. You can be more creative. So diversity across the board, across the spectrum, and that goes for phenotypes, for, phenotype, for you know, gender, for like physical ability level, right? Like, you know, differently able um, individuals also need a space at the table. How am I going to plan, you know, how are we going to plan our office space 
you know, make it accessible if we don't have the voice of people, you know, who, who, for whom this will directly impact very acutely. And so women, men, everyone in an organization, the diversity of that organization lends nothing, at least I think person, lends nothing but strength to it because you have those points of causal ambiguity where there's points of friction. People are like not necessarily agreeing about things, but they find common ground and then can push forward projects and push forward objectives. And that's how you grow a business, you know, and that's how you grow um, and that's how you build a society, really, everyone working together. Yes. Yes, I really, you made some really great points there, and I'm not surprised to hear that Swells, um, you know, has a nice balance of men and women there in the organization because it seems to me like you're really focused on relationships and tending to those both with the organizations you invest in and with the investors themselves. And I imagine that there is um, a lot of care for um, both both types of relationships. And then organizationally, it sounds like there is a lot of collaboration and listening and empathy and the whole picture, holistic mm-hmm. thinking and um yeah, I, I think it's great to, to highlight those qualities and, and as we've done, acknowledge that they can be found in all people and and look at what happens within an organization when there are women, um, you know, uh, present and part of the decision-making and the shaping of, of these uh, qual- qualitative and quantitative uh, decisions. And, um, yes. And so, okay, and then this other layer um, of of being an uh, African-American woman and how, you know, we could talk about how this has affected your experience and also go into like, okay, what, what would um, it, how would it benefit the financial industry to bring more people of color and more race diversity into these conversations? You know, absolutely. It's a it's a great question and a challenge. Um, what my experience in the industry has probably been a bit less usual than others. Um, when I started out at the Royal Bank of Canada, I was based in San Francisco, not Canada. People always ask me that. <laughs> um, uh, the team that I joined was a socially responsible investment team. Um, there were a team of about eight, and there were four advisors, two women, two men, and three associates, and then me, the analyst. And I, the demographic makeup of that team was also primarily women. So it's, you know, I'm a, I've always been in a bit of an unusual space. Now, with that said, when I go outside of my organization and represent, whether it was RBC in the past or Swell now, um, there have been instances where people just make assumptions, you know, but you kind of mm-hmm. like throughout my whole life, you know, I've always been black, kind of this weird thing. <laughs> like, so I've, I've, you know, I've always had to deal with that. And as a result, like it's not, it's not, um, it's, it's a, it's something that I'm acutely aware of and definitely has presented challenges. I think a lot of times the way that I communicate with people is perceived a bit differently. Um, like I could say the same thing as a colleague of mine, but it'll be taken in a completely different way, even if I've said it a very similar, you know, way. So things like that, you know, like those kinds of things. You know, people come with their own perceptions of who you are, and you can't really control how they think about things. All you can do is control how you respond to their um, assumptions. And so what I've tried to do is just really be thoughtful about educating people if I do have a situation that makes me uncomfortable and being very thoughtful about addressing it directly and if I don't do it in that moment because maybe I'm upset, I'll go away, I'll think about it, you know, and I'll come back. But I, I never – I would encourage anyone who works in this industry or any industry really, especially as women and people of color, to, to, um, to always stand up for themselves and to not let themselves be run over, you know. Um, sometimes that – you know, sometimes there are consequences to that, but, you know, integrity is, is – most important. I should also note that the dynamics that I'm talking about are not present at so well. <laughs> like, you know, there are only 25 of us, you know, and everyone's so great here. Like, I've never never had an issue. Um, I know that sounds like self-serving or self, you know, I don't know, self, but it's, it's just true. Um, so nice. I, think, I think we focus, like, 
Dave's emphasis, and Dave is our CEO, his emphasis on com- company culture is, like, m- huge, you know. Um, and because company culture goes into a lot of the success or failure of a business, right? And we are a startup. And so it's important for us to have a really strong company culture where everyone is intellectually curious, they're thoughtful, they're empathetic, they're collaborative, you know, and they're respectful of each other um, across mm. departments. Um, so, you know, just starting that foundationally, like, his emphasis on that has just bled into the rest of the company, and so it's, it's been really nice working as well. But that does not mean that those kinds of things don't exist in other parts of the world. In fact, we, in other parts of finance, in fact, we know they do. You know, there have been reports of HSBC. I mean, even just the wage gap, like, you know, yeah. it's just, you know, it, just, it, becomes, it becomes, you know, there are, there, are, there are lots of, there's lots of discrimination, we know. Um, but, well, we, we focus on being positive. Sorry, that's, nice. a, that's a minefield of a question in some ways because you're like, well, race and gender, you know, those topics are very heated and very personal to a lot of people. Um, we know that there are problems. We are seeing some improvements, but we'd like to see more and more rapidly. Yes, yes. And I think it's, uh, it is so important to be sensitive about overgeneralizing and yet there are the numbers don't lie when we look at wage gaps exactly the way mm-hmm. that yeah certain uh yeah certain i think if situations. you want to point to one issue i'm sorry crystal but if you really want to point to one issue within the financial services industry in the sector that is like gendered very much it would be wage it would be the wage disparity yeah absolutely the the yeah. numbers that are coming out from these banks is, are just outrageous yeah. So yeah. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, let's so let's also talk about um, you guys do these purpose, purpose meets profit events that really uh, bring people together that are locally socially conscious entrepreneurs to talk about how they do money and um, could you tell us a little bit more about those events and the um, benefits that you've seen from that? Yeah, no, I, you know, PMP, as we call it here, Purpose Meets Profit, is a huge event <laughs> for Swell. We started it back, like, just after we launched, essentially. I think maybe a month or so after we launched, we did our first PMP, so back in June or July, because we launched in, um, in May. Um, we did our first Purpose Meets Profit and the idea is that we bring in local, usually local businesses that are at the intersection of purpose and profit just like us. So these aren't companies that we hold in our own portfolios. These are just local business leaders. So they're, privately tra- they're private companies. They're not publicly traded. And the reason we did that is because we wanted to help people understand the linkages between, you know, transacting business and being, you know, um, positive environmental stewards or social, you know, social stewards and community leaders. We wanted to make those connections very tangible for people so that way they would make the association between what those companies are trying to achieve and what we're as a company trying to achieve through investments. We don't really talk about Swell at these events. Like this is not a chance for, this is not an opportunity for Swell to showcase itself. What we do is we host these events. They are hosted by us. We put them on, but we really want people to understand and have an opportunity to talk to the local community leaders that they interact with and whose businesses they use every day, right? So, um, making those connections. And that, to me, and to Swell, that's another way that we are helping people understand the importance of connecting business activity to, you know, the broader society and making those linkages. So that way when they look at a company like um, one of our portfolio companies, they, uh, like iRhythm, which um, makes uh, technologies for people who are suffering from or managing heart arrhythmias, when they make those linkages, they say, oh, like, Swell owns iRhythm. iRhythm does this great thing for people with heart arrhythmias, and that, is, that has a positive social benefit, and also I'm invested in that company through the portfolios, and I'm also able to marry the purpose that they're generating and the profit that that generates for me, so purpose and profit. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's wine and there's people like that. <laughs> nice, the way it's nice. Is, um, you know, we have a panel of guests, um, you know, the audience can come and mingle and there's networking and then the panel speaks and people have time to ask questions. Lots of the questions are really engaged and very thoughtful. We get a, a wide array, a wide cross-section of attendees too, everything from, you know, MBA students to, uh, I met a biologist 
at one of our first PMPs. So I actually interviewed for some work that I'm doing, you know, separately, like some research I'm doing for as well. And so, like, you get, like, this really interesting cross-section of people that are just really interested in trying to understand this space in particular, but then also want to be engaged in, you know, business activities in the local community. And so it's brought a lot of people together. So, so PMPs, our purpose-made profit events, are very well attended. We always fill out. Nice. So, Love it. There's in Portland recently that was really well received as well. So. Oh, in Portland, cool. Um, yeah, I feel like that it's bringing a certain intimacy to it, like the personal face. It's not just like numbers <laughs> and a computer and you know filling out your, making your investment choices behind your screen. Like you're actually getting to meet the people behind these endeavors and. I, I think that intimacy, too, is something that we need more in the economy, and it's connected with transparency and really knowing our neighbors and our investments and farmers and uh, yeah. just love how you're building community. It's so essential. Um, so in our, our, well, our last five minutes or so, uh, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to share? Yes, absolutely. One of the things that I wanted to say even early on is that Swell is a, like we're a fiduciary. And that means that it is our, we operate, our incentives with our investors are in alignment. We, we focus on, you know, there's a misconception often about, about the returns for an ESG or SR impact product. You know, the returns are, you know, maybe they're lower. That's obviously not true. Actually, let me rephrase. People often posit that the returns for impact or ESG strategies and portfolios would be lower than the broader market. The argument is that they are, you are giving up return because you are not invested in the widest cross-section of companies. Okay? So, like, if you don't own gun stocks, you don't own banks, you don't own oil and gas, then you're missing out on the potential return from owning those companies. That is one perspective. Um, the data have actually shown for the oldest ESG, excuse me, the ESG index, which is the, I'm going to say this, MSCI KLD 400 Social Index, which is the oldest index from 1990 um, that tracks performance of companies that have high ESG scores that are a part of the S&P 500 and removes companies that are considered like companies like gun stocks and oil and gas stocks from the S&P 500. That, that particular index has been running for the last 25, 26 years, 27 years, I guess, at this point, um, and it has beat the S&P 500 every single year, so um, net of fees. Um, and just, just the same way that particular index is, has beat, you know, an SRI index doesn't have any oil, doesn't have any gun stocks, has beat the S&P 500, our portfolios, our combined portfolio performance, all six of our investment portfolios have also beat the S&P 500 and the Russell 3000 since inception through the first quarter of this year. We're a young company, so our track record isn't terribly long. But the idea that you have to give up return by not, that you will give up return by not investing in companies that you can, that you find objectionable is an anachronism from bygone era. It is also has been disproven significantly through the research. So that's hmm. something I think is really important for people to understand that impact investing does not mean sacrificing returns. It doesn't have to mean that. It's really just with any just like with any investment product, it's about not just the fact that they're doing the impact, but it's also choosing the best product that's doing the impact. You know, you can have a product that's wonderful, but if it's, you know, that's doing a wonderful thing, but if it's not great, you know, then, you know, there's, you still, you still may not want it. So there's a wide array of, of products that you can put your capital in that do, that are aligned with your values. They may not all perform the same way, like any, any, um, any investment. So it's just, you know, it's good to talk to your financial advisor. Anyone who's been inspired by today's conversation, you can uh, check out the website www.swellinvesting.com and uh, contact them about get, getting involved. And another thing that uh, does make Swell unique, uh, you don't need a whole lot of money to get involved, right? Yeah, that's right. Um, thank you for, for mentioning that. Um, we wanted to make this as accessible as possible to anyone and everyone. And so our minimum investment is $50. Wow. Excellent. So hear that, everyone. You, too, can get involved in uh, purpose-driven investing. And uh, I'm sure everyone has 
$50 that you could spare. So it's, uh, it's good not to feel locked out of the investing game because of financial reasons. So encourage people to, uh, to play along and, and it's um, super inspiring to hear a little bit more about your company's culture and your own passion around uh, creating a better, better world through the financial markets and just feel like this was a great glimpse into some good news about the innovations, the um, pioneers in the fields um, who are using this investment money to create better um, society, uh, regenerate the economy and environment, and just feeling super uplifted, like, wow, this really is um, the direction that we're heading and the way that we can affect change through more wise money decisions. So encourage everyone to check out Swell Investing. Thank you, Amber J., for sharing your wisdom with us here today. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, the biggest compliment you can give us is to subscribe to the show and rate and review our podcast at iTunes. Be sure to visit www.moneymorphosis.com. That's money-m-o-r-p-h-o-s-i-s.com to join the growing community of empowered women who are dedicated to creating the true wealth they deserve. 